Well, hello, my friends. The grace and peace of our Lord and Savior be with you. I want to welcome you to the Sermons from the Cornfield podcast, a weekly podcast where the sermons that I preach each and every Sunday are uploaded for you to listen to and review. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill, and I hope you enjoy this week's podcast. God bless. Our sermon text this morning in our gospel lesson comes from the Gospel of John. We'll be in the 15th chapter, taking a look at verses 9 through 17. In fact, we're picking up right where we left off last week for those that joined us here. This is again chapter 15, John, verses 9 through 17. Hear now the words of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. My friends, again, this is the word of God for you and I, the children of God. How many of you have seen the movie Tombstone? A good number of you. It's one of my favorites, to be quite honest. It uh, came out in December 1993. And I remember my cousins and I going to see it in the theater during our Christmas break from college. And I liked it so much then that as soon as I stepped foot back on Carolina's campus the following January, my buddies and I went to go see it at the theater. And we all loved it so much that we pulled our money together a few months later and bought the DVD. So we can watch it as many times as possible. And we did. We watched it over and over and over. But the movie climaxes when a bunch of outlaw cowboys shoot two of Wyatt Earp's brothers. They kill one and severely wound the other. And so Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday and two other guys go on this kind of revenge tour taking out all of these outlaw cowboys that are in this, this gang that killed his brother. And toward the end of the movie, right before the final shootout, what we see is Wyatt Earp's out by himself on one side of the creek bank, and Doc Holliday and two other guys are on the other side. And Doc Holliday starts coughing violently. He's just a few weeks from dying from tuberculosis. His eyes are all bloodshot. His, his skin is pale and clammy. He's coughing up blood. And one of the guys there with him, a guy named Jack Johnson, says, Why in the world are you out here? You should be in a hospital. You should be out in a bed somewhere. Besides, this really has no concern of yours. These weren't your brothers. And Doc Holliday replies that he's doing it because Wyatt Earp 
is my friend. And Jack Johnson says, well, I've got lots of friends. Doc Holliday says, I don't. How many friends do you have? Are you like Jack Johnson that you would say, well, I got lots of friends? Or are you more like Doc Holliday and say that you don't? And as you're thinking about that question, let me add this to it. I came across it this week. It says, psychologists tell us that a true friend is someone who has seen us at our worst and still loves us. If you have encountered me only on my best days, when all is going well and I am in top form and you like me, I have no guarantee that you are my friend. But when you have dealt with me when I am most obnoxious, most self-absorbed, most afraid, and most unpleasant, and you still love me, then I am sure that you are my friend. If that's the definition, then how many friends do you have? How many people are in your life that have seen the best and worst of you, yet if you were to ask them to help you out, they would drop everything and do so, and if asked why, they would say, well, she's my friend, or he's my friend. How many people are in your life that you have seen the best and worst of that were to ask you to do something for them, and you would drop everything and do it? And if asked why, you would simply say, well, because they are my friend. Why don't you leave that in the back of your head for a minute? Let me ask you a couple other questions. When somebody asks you the why questions of your faith, how do you answer? Family member, a friend, co-worker, classmate, whoever it is. When they ask you, why do you go to church? Or, why do you pray? Or, why do you read your Bible? Or, why do you have faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Why do you believe in God? How do you answer those questions? I've been asked all those questions. And I think that I've usually given pretty good answers. But you know, I have never responded to any of these why questions by simply saying, because Jesus is my friend. Usually I launch into some explanation about what it means to be a Christian and try to teach others what it is that we believe. Yet perhaps in all these instances where I've had a chance to share my faith, I have forgotten to talk about what might be the most important, that Jesus is my friend. Do you even think in those terms? I mean, I don't, honestly. It seems kind of odd to me at first. Even right now, putting my sermon thoughts together, it seemed odd. Jesus is my friend? I mean, I'm comfortable and I'm confident talking about Jesus as my Savior, my Redeemer, my Lord, my King, my Shepherd, my Resurrection, my life. But as my friend, it seems kind of odd. And yet in our reading this morning, Jesus calls us to meditate on that word. Our gospel lesson this morning calls us to consider what does it mean that Jesus calls us his friends and welcomes us into friendship with him. Now in our story this morning, Jesus is meeting with the disciples on the night in which he was betrayed. He's conversing with them and preparing them for what's about to happen to him. This chapter and the ones that fall behind it are sometimes called Jesus' farewell discourse. He's trying to give the disciples the last instructions before he is put to death. And what's going to happen is the disciples are going to watch as the church turns ugly. As their dreams of peace are shattered, 
as their Passover celebration is marked with death. Yet in the midst of all this, Jesus tells them what is really going on. And what's really going on is the greatest love there is. A love that saves. In this conversation, Jesus is reminding his disciples that he has called them, he has chosen them, he has taught them, appointed them, commanded them, promised things for them. But most importantly, friends, he has loved them. And he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his, what? Friends. friends. Jesus calls his disciples his friends. Of all the things that he said and did during his short ministry on earth, what is about to happen is the greatest mystery that there is. Because Jesus will suffer, die, and yet rise again for them. And it is by this love that they are forgiven. It is by this love that they are made his friends. They are made friends of God. And friends, so are we. Have you ever stopped to think about that? There's an old hymn that says, What a friend we have in Jesus. How many of you have sung that one, right? That's not just some quaint, warm, fuzzy kind of a statement. That's at the very heart of who we are as Christians. I mean, think about what the first Christians saw in the death and resurrection of Christ. We killed God, and yet God returned in forgiving love. We murdered the Lord of life, and yet he answered not with hatred, but with compassion. He saw us at our very worst and loved us anyway. Friends, what happened with the resurrection is not only that we have been shown a new way, we have been drawn into a new life, a life of friendship with God. I mean, do you realize how mind-blowing that is? That when I am my most obnoxious, most self-absorbed, most afraid, and most unpleasant, God still wants to have a life of friendship with me. I mean, just think about the words of forgiveness I proclaimed not just a few minutes ago. That Christ died for us when? While we were yet sinners. Christ died for us to offer us salvation and eternal life. Not as any kind of contingency on us getting it right. No, he died for us. For us. In the midst of all of our wrongness. And knowing that for generation after generation and after generation, we're going to get it wrong a whole lot more than we're ever going to get it right. I heard this week that this friendship with Christ is the most glorious privilege that there is. And that's true. I mean, to know Christ, to serve Christ, to follow Christ, to obey Christ, to work in Christ's vineyard, to fight Christ's battles, these are all certainly glorious things. But for sinful men and women, you and me, to be called friends of Christ, do we really grasp it? The King of kings and Lord of lords not only has mercy on us, and saves all who believe in him, but he actually calls us friends. I mean, if that doesn't make you want to jump out of bed in the morning, I don't know what will. But then I guess the question is, well, what does that mean? To be called Christ's friends. Well, thankfully, Jesus himself asks us to meditate on what this means by contrasting for us the difference between a servant and a friend. I no longer call you servants, Christ says, 
For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Jesus says there's a difference between being a servant and being a friend. A servant doesn't know the mind of his master. He simply follows orders. If his master says go, he goes. If the master says come, he comes. If the master says stay, he stays. If the master says jump, he jumps. The servant is obedient and simply does what he is told. He does not question, he does not reason, he just does. Not because he wants to necessarily, but because he has to. A friend, though, is different. A friend knows more than a servant. And so a friend does things differently. Although the outward action might be the exact same, a friend does because the friend knows that he is beloved. A friend knows that he is loved. He knows the heart of the one that he is serving, and that service comes from a position and flows out of love. Such a friend wants to instead of has to. Think back to last week when we talked about the branches on a vine. Branches may all be connected to the same vine. And the all might may look the same on the outside. But some branches are dying, some branches are thriving. I think in our story this morning, servants are the dying branches. But friends are the thriving branches. Because let's be honest, the ways of Christianity are strange to our world. Living as a Christian raises questions. And how do we respond? Oftentimes, I'm afraid we respond as if we are servants and not friends. That is, we do things because we are told to do them. Or we simply say, well, that's the way that it's always been. And I wonder if some of the numbers you see that indicate a church decline are because we do things out of obligation and not out of joy. We do them because we have to, not because we want to. We go through all the motions, but those on the outside looking in can see that our heart is just not in it. What would our conversations then be like, though, if we were to say we do things because we are friends of Jesus? If we truly believe that, then I think that changes the heart and turns a lot of these have-tos into want-tos. And if you want to do something, you're going to do it with joy and excitement and devotion and power and fire. Praying before a meal, reading scripture, attending church, speaking on matters of faith. These are all activities that should flow from being a friend of Jesus. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Jesus chose to make us his friends. He suffered and died and rose again for you. Now we don't always know what God is up to or doing. His ways are beyond our own understanding, as Scripture tells us. But we do know one thing about Jesus. That he died and rose again so he could become friends of us and make us his friends. And because Jesus rose from the dead, his love never ends. He is always at work, extending his grace so that those who do not yet know him, those who have questions about him, even those that may be enemies of his, might be forgiven. And then become his friends. As our world slowly changes and the values and ways of life stray far away from our Christian calling, people are always going to have questions about us. Why do you do that, they'll ask. One answer is, this is what the church teaches. We are told to do these things and we obey. 
That is one answer, certainly, and to a certain extent, I guess it's right, but I don't think it goes far enough. Another answer, the answer that Jesus gives us is that we are his friend. Why do you do that, the world may ask. And our answer should be, because Jesus is my friend. And beginning there, we start at the heart. The heart of our relationship with Jesus and the heart of what Jesus desires for all his people. Love. So again, let me ask you. How many friends do you have? And are you a friend of the only one that truly matters? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Until next time, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. God bless.